Hello, and thank you for listening to Beyond the Bar. I'm your host, Margaret Mullen. Welcome to the 25th episode of Beyond the Bar, and I am just so thrilled to have made it this far, and I'm grateful to each one of you for listening and for your incredible support. Today, I am frankly pinching myself because I have the honor of welcoming one of my childhood heroes, Wendy Whalen, to the show. Wendy is not only one of the most notable ballerinas in the history of New York City Ballet, but also is considered one of the greatest ballerinas in the world. She has captured audiences' hearts for years on stage with the New York City Ballet, touring with her Restless Creature project, and also on screen in the Restless Creature documentary film, which I highly recommend. She is now at the helm of one of the most prestigious ballet companies in the world as Associate Artistic Director for the New York City Ballet. She is also an extraordinarily kind and generous person, and I feel grateful to have met Wendy when I was going through my own battle with a hip surgery that she had experience with. She went out of her way to get to know me and to support me through that process, and I don't think I would have made the same successful recovery without her support. It meant the world to have someone I admired so much take the time to help me through one of the most difficult times in my career. And now I'm grateful to her for sharing her time with me again as a guest on my podcast. I'm excited for all of you to experience her incredible warmth and wisdom, and I hope you enjoy the show. Wendy, thank you so much for being here. I'm just so honored to have you on the show. Thank you. It's my pleasure. (laughs) I'm happy to be here. I have been a huge Wendy Whalen fan, as most of the world has, uh, for a very long time. I remember I was, I think I have a videotape, a VHS that has probably disintegrated by now because I watched it so many times of you doing ag- the Agon Pas de Trois. <laughs> Some oh kind of balance and celebration. It's probably not usable anymore. I haven't tried. <laughs> probably a Betamax. <laughs> No. Um, But yeah, I'm just, uh, it's such a pleasure to have you here because you've had such an illustrious career, but one that I know that has taken a lot of grit and a lot of determination. And I know you've uh, given, you know, you've given your story to a lot of people as you've been interviewed a ton about the early years. So I didn't want to spend... um, too much time asking, you know, how you started. We we can all find that info. But something I was really interested to learn about, actually in Restless Creature, was the fact that you had such severe scoliosis and went through traction and had the brace. And I was wondering if you could share a bit about that, because I had some dear friends growing up that I was a dancer with at, in um, Tucson, and they were in braces for scoliosis for quite a long time. And I know that was very difficult for them physically and emotionally. And I'm wondering, was was that a big challenge for you? I think if I didn't have that experience, I would not, um, well, physically have been the dancer that I could be um, without correcting my my curvature or at least halting it at a certain point in its um, progression. Um, But also, I think that was... um, incredibly transformative character building time in my life just having that summer of not being able to dance or perform or actually really move around in my own little 13 year old body um 
somewhat like this time, you know, this kind of quarantine time, this sort of hibernation time, the frustration of that and coping with what do I have at my beck and call um, when I don't have everything I normally have? How do you make the best of that time? And how do you use it for, how do you find the silver lining in that? And Mm -hmm. I didn't, I really didn't see a silver lining at the time when I was 13, going through this sort of six months in a 15 pound body cast. And then after that, um, about three or four years in a Milwaukee brace from my neck to my hips. But the, um, the silver lining was really there in in the big picture so uh, it shaped me to uh throughout my whole career always look for the windows of opportunity that didn't always present themselves along the way and it really made me look at the bigger picture and not focus on what do I have and what do I not have um but where's the opportunity in this process Mm-hmm. Where are the opportunities? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's something that's hard for dancers in general. Um, we get so hyper-focused on mm-hmm. keeping a certain schedule and achieving at a certain pace and keeping up with your classmates and everyone your age. And I think that's a particularly difficult lesson to learn at 13 because that's such a emotionally and mentally complicated time for people. So um, that yeah. was about the time that... M- the friends that I had were in their braces too, was, you know, eighth grade into freshman year into sophomore year. And I remember they kind of wreaking havoc on their self-esteem a bit. Um, because, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like, you feel, you do feel behind. And also I know, mm-hmm. um, in their case, you know, going to normal high school, feeling self-conscious about wearing a brace under your normal clothes. And that's hard. That's a hard thing to experience. It was, it was really rough. Cause, uh, it was also, It was actually, um, I was going into eighth grade when it happened and it was the mean girls experience came to life and these, these tough girls that, um, this kind of click was, was really, uh, solidifying at the time. And I was not part of that click and they weren't, you know, necessarily like mean per se to me, but I really felt alienated um just I felt like this I couldn't wear my school uniform and um I had to wear like these giant t-shirts to school and I was such an outcast in that way um but then decided to go I got to go off to a new school and you know be with uh, a whole new group of students and kids and they were they were very very different from Mm. from where I went from so that's amazing. That was a tangent that's it. there, but yeah. well, no, it's, it's good. I, th- I think, yeah, it's like we don't think about you know uh, the great dancers that we see, uh, the beautiful ballerinas ever being teased or you know experiencing any kind <gasps> mm-hmm. of outcast feelings. And I, I know eighth grade was hands down my least favorite year of school. <laughs> I think it's just I have so much respect for eighth grade teachers. I don't know how they yeah. do it. It's a uh, it's a rough time. <laughs> It's brutal. Yeah. It brings out a lot of interesting things in people. Um, and, uh, and yeah, when you're maybe, you know, especially I think a lot of dancers generally tend to be a little more reserved at school, you know, where you're, we're so focused on dance and we 
maybe, um, you know, feel a little more shy around people that are, you know, living the normal school life because we're so removed from that because you're spending all your time at dance. And to then also add yeah. another element to that, it, it's very, uh, yeah, it's very alienating, I think, to experience something uh-huh. like that. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, bullies are, no, nobody be a bully. No bullies. No bullies. <laughs> no bullies. No bullies. Mm-mm. And Mm-mm. so what was that like for you coming back into the studio more um, as you were eventually <sighs> improving? What, how, how did that feel? That was, that was bliss coming back from, um, from that sort of experience because I got that 15 pound weight off of my shoulders, literally. And after six months and my body, because I did end up continuing going to class at that time, my teacher had recommended not stopping, keeping my head in the game, um, not losing focus because she knew that the mental aspect of dance and ballet um, is half the is half the game, and if you can have control of that and the the power of that, then you can really do a lot with it. It can either defeat you or it can empower you. And she knew that building up that part of of my my muscle, my my head, my mind um, set. Uh, was going to be beneficial. So I went in there, I did what I could do. I did, you know, half a bar, most of bar with low legs, but then, you know, and even releve with the 15 pounds on and I could jump like crazy after that. And, (laughs) and because it balanced out my spine, my, um, symmetry in my, um, extensions got better. So I could, um, arabesque more equal and do extensions with my um leg to the side that was that was a different experience because my pelvis was more aligned and I could I could I could feel things differently on a structural level and so I and I and I also had a teacher at the time um that worked alongside this other main teacher that I had and he was a Maggie Black sort of student of Maggie Black, literally. Um, and so he came in with this real understanding of alignment and how not tweaking your alignment was so empowering to sort of have your hips balanced, squaring off, knowing you know how to line up structurally with your skeleton um, and how that was, you know, kept you from getting injured. And it also helped your technique. And so that was reinforced at that time as well. So I was getting it from my teacher and I was also feeling it from the inside um, through this realignment of my spine, pelvis and hips uh, area. So it was a really uh, like a science experiment for me as a young dancer to really go internally and work on these things that, you know... I wouldn't normally have the time to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I felt a lot of strength and and freedom. Mm. Yeah, so. it's there's some real aha moments to be had in working simply. I think for dancers, uh-huh. I, I've mm-hmm. learned that. I think a little more every year since I was in high school, since having an injury myself. And yeah, it's I, I'm always trying to stress that, especially you know we're recording this during the the pandemic. The we're all in isolation, yeah. and I've been. You know, I think in classes, 
we're, you know, anyone that's teaching a lot is really trying to reinforce that with young students of, you know, take this time. It's actually a beautiful time to get back to basics because uh, you get so caught up in rushing, rushing, rushing and pushing to the next level. True. But you have to keep going back too. it's like steps forward, steps mm-hmm. back to find your base level of technique again. It's difficult and important. Yeah. Every day you go to class and you take inventory of how you're lining yourself up. And you do that, you know, if you're taking yoga or you're doing Pilates, you you know, you're always, every practice is taking inventory of where am I today? And I think that is a beautiful thing. Uh, It's very healthy to to really think about that in a practice. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know you talk about that in your classes a lot, the Wendy's with, or uh, Wednesdays with Wendy. <laughs> I know it's a yes. lot of alignment talk and rooting, and I love it. That's <laughs> I, I, It's my thing. I didn't realize that that's where I would find, you know, like my deep passion, and it, it goes back to that time. So it was really, uh, it shaped my whole future, that, that six months. Sort of. That's amazing. And mm-hmm. so y- you made it back from, you know, you built, rebuilt yourself again from the ground up. And how soon after getting out of the brace did you uh, end up going to SAB? And why did you make the decision to go there? Well, um, that summer that I spent in a body cast was the summer before my first summer course at SAB. So I went in the brace to SAB and I was able to take that brace off and take class. So um, that was my first time away. And then the following summer after that, um, I decided I would go for the school year. So it was basically two years from that hibernation period in my body cast to when I went and went off and moved to New York and to study full time. Wow. with with the back brace and I and the doctor told me you know I know you're going to be, be in a new school and with new students and so maybe you just uh, you're doing so well your back is strong and and straightened a lot so why don't you just sleep in your brace you don't have to wear it to school so that was a good thing it was you know he was looking at how I would fit in socially in this new experience. And he was like, just, you know, you just make sure you sleep in it at night. So, yeah, that's so nice of him to consider that. I mean, it's it, it has an impact that way. So it's nice to have a doctor mm-hmm. that takes into account your whole life, like how this affects you. It's it's one thing to just say, wear it. But <laughs> what does it mean, especially when you're moving away from home and interacting with new people and not sure what you're walking into? That must have felt very helpful. Yes. Yeah. More than I realized. Um, so at that time that you went, how familiar were you with New York City Ballet? Did you know it was a dream company for you at that point? I loved, I, I think it was the summer before I moved there that I had seen Agon literally in the audience at, at the New York State Theater the, with the New York City Ballet mm-hmm. and in particular Maria Caligari in the Pas de Trois, which is what you remembered seeing yep. me in. <laughs> I remembered seeing her in that um, on the stage. And that's when I went, that is what I want to do. I want to be that kind of dancer. So 14, 15, I knew that was my calling, but I didn't, exp- I didn't know if I would get into New York City Ballet. Um, it was a hope, but I, I, I wasn't stuck on it. Uh, I had training that was basically um, 
Chiquetti Royal Ballet and Paris Opera training as a younger dancer and then and a Maggie Black training. So Balanchine training was was really what I had was just starting into at that time when I moved. I had never had it as a student. So I knew that you know, it, I was either going to pick it up or not and uh I hoped I would. So <laughs> Seems like you did pretty well in that way. And that must have been <laughs> just a bit, you know, that must have been um, probably actually very helpful. I think it's uh, very hard for young dancers not to get completely fixated on a company and to be able to imagine themselves somewhere else. Or were you just leaving yourself open? Were you going to just do auditions and try to find a dancing job? And I, yeah, I mean, I was ready that, you know, if it was going to end up that I would, you know, maybe, maybe join ABT then I would, I would be, you know, that's where I would go. And I also was, you know, I had, you know, I was getting ready to, in a couple of years, graduate. So I applied to Indiana University because if I didn't have a job offer, I was going to go to IU. And, you know, so I didn't know. That was, those were all laid out. You know, my mom really was, she was a, uh, a basketball coach, high level ba- college basketball coach for women. So she really helped me get my mind um, focused on keeping all the doors open. Mm. And I, there was a time when I wanted to quit school when I did get an apprenticeship with New York City Ballet and a couple of my friends um, had, you know, stopped going to school. They were doing it online. And I was like, I want to do that. And she was like, no (laughs) way are you doing that? There's no way. (laughs) So, you know, she kind of was like, education, you've got to have that. You have Mm -hmm. got to have that. So, so early in. So (laughs) our moms sound similar in that way. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which is good. I mean, it's funny. I think at the moment, you know, everyone's so eager to get going. I think that to feel like you're held back from going for it feels just uh, very depressing as a young dancer. And it feels like everything, like it's all so important in that moment. And then not until you're older do you realize, oh yeah, it's actually a really good thing that I lived a more balanced life. Yeah. But now, but, and that was the eighties, you know, so back in the eighties, going, continuing going to school as a professional was not popular Mm -hmm. at all. And in fact, it was almost like you don't want your director to know that you're going to school, that you might have other interests. So it's re- it's remarkable that now, you know, like 30 years later, there are a multitude of dancers in New York City Ballet and, and professional companies all over who are graduating with a degree and many of them going and getting a master's while still performing at the highest level. And to know that that's you know, dancers are doing that now, um, capable and succeeding is, it's just remarkable to me. And, um, it's incredible to see dancers Mm -hmm. doing, doing these giant efforts and being so successful at it. It, it, It's incredibly inspiring to see this generation of professionals doing this. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah, it's really amazing. I know you had uh, mm-hmm. talked before about how much the uh, hyper focus on ballet was a part of the culture, especially for New York City Ballet. Um, 
it's mm-hmm. gradually tapered, but yeah, I, I, I remember hearing from many people how it was, don't even have a boyfriend, or get married, or it's, you know, have you live and die for the ballet, and <laughs> mm-hmm. so we've, we've mm-hmm. definitely come a very long way away from that, which is nice. There's a lot of great things at that time. That was probably not so great yeah. thing at that time. <laughs> it's nice to, right. nice yeah. to have uh, other things it's in true. your life, and <laughs> other people, and and real and to realize that that education you know can really actually add to your mm-hmm. artistry it's not going to get in the way it's not going to limit you it's going to actually keep your mind that much more curious for creativity and um i don't think i i would have looked at it that way but then but now uh i absolutely see that so you ended up joining new york city ballet right after Mr. B's passing, basically. Um, what was that like for you? I can't even, I mean, it's such a huge, illustrious company, such an institution to join in general and to join it in a time of grief must have been a very strange experience. Do you mind talking a little bit about that? Not at all. Um, it was confusing. It was a little bit almost depressed. Mm-hmm. A little bit at the time, um, there was, it was filled with Balanchine's dancers that he had handpicked. And they were all figuring out, should I stay or should I go? Where am I in my career? Uh, Why am I dancing? Um, Do I have a future? Do I want to explore other things? Uh, Is, you know, for a lot of people, it was Balanchine or die, you know, and and Balanchine had passed and they were like, I'm out of here. You know, he's not here anymore. And, you know, and Peter had his own group of young dancers that that he really strongly connected with and he was choreographing. And so a lot of people found found being with Peter Martin's empowering, you know, at that time. So it just was like just lots of decisions being made. And I could feel that around me with all the older dancers. Um, But they were also very familial. They were um, very thoughtful to the younger dancers in helping us understand how to be professionals within that company, what it took to um, succeed in that company. And it was like, you show up for company class whenever Peter Martins teaches. Because we showed up when Balanchine taught. So it was like always these sort of rituals. We learned them sort of as the new family members. Um, And they were very, uh, there was a lot of, um, warm big sisters and big brothers around that I felt really cared for the culture of the company. And so that was a pretty beautiful thing. Oh, yeah, that's, that's amazing when you have yeah. such a huge transition. Um, you really get to see who is kind of keeping an eye on the legacy of the company and wants to help preserve that whether or mm-hmm. not the person that was at the helm is there or not. Yeah, very, very true. Pass it on to the younger generation and you were such an incredible group coming in. I know (laughs) a lot of talent that year. And I'm wondering, um, you know, something that you have talked about that I really respect because I am a huge fan of um, dancers seeking help and support on a, in a therapy based way, you know, mental health is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And saw recently that that's been a big part of your whole career. Can you talk a bit about your experience with uh, sports psychology? Oh, wow. Um, I, I think as a young dancer, you know, I had this, this 
mother who was an athlete, or at least, you know, she, she lived in the world of athletics. And so sports psychology was a big thing. She was fascinated with it. And she, she helped me incorporate it when I was nervous for, for performing or, you know, even getting through the brace and body cast thing that I went through. Um, and there were times when I felt that I was needing some support and, and I was maybe struggling with certain social issues at the ballet. And so um, some of these older brothers and sisters, these da- other dancers were, you know, friends of mine. And they were like, well, maybe you want to go and talk to somebody about this kind of thing. So I started doing um, psychotherapy as a as a young dancer and kind of navigated my career with it with uh, you know a, f- a few different um people that I would go and and sit and talk to about what I was facing and dealing with and coping with and uh, I found it was extremely helpful um especially when I found you know a certain right person for for what I was dealing with and that was more at the end of my career so seeking out the right person for you is is super important um and i think it's um kind of i kind of look at it as an investment in yourself you know to put that kind of money towards um a weekly like rehashing of you know tool building for how to go into work and and approach different different situations and different uh, experiences of growing into, you know, this kind of career. Mm-hmm. So it, it did feel like an investment. And at the time there was, um, an experience where one of the dancers in the company had gone through a really hard time. And, and, um, there was, uh, this sort of protocol put into place where it, they offered, uh, to pay for half of your therapy sessions, the dancers. So you could submit, uh, a payment to your therapist and the and the company would 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 give you the other half so that was like great I took full advantage of that time that's not there in place right now but I do think it's you know really helpful when that can be available for dancers because it just it does let the dancer know that the company you know knows how important that aspect is Mm-hmm. of of your artistry and that it, that it's okay to feel imperfect you know feeling <laughs> feeling yeah. like a, a human feeling vulnerable feeling like you're you struggle with things that's I mean that's normal that's not um and also realizing that vulnerability is a part of being an mm-hmm. artist and that it's actually a strength so that when you can tap into that vulnerability and that imperfection you can actually become a better artist mm-hmm. It's not about being perfect. I remember one therapist telling me that the only thing perfect in life is perfectly dead. Everything else is imperfect. And I love that. I love that, too. I love that because I'm such such a perfectionist and it and it can be really limiting and debilitating to be a slave to perfectionism and when you realize that you know getting dirty and figuring out a puzzle 
is is actually part of the beauty of it all. Mm, it's wonderful. Um, yeah. I love that too. <laughs> I'm gonna remember that because <laughs> I also frequently feel a slave mm-hmm. to perfection. Um, it's a constant battle. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know it, it's important. That is something important for dancers here, and I'm so happy that you shared that you sought help for um, many things throughout your career because it's when we just look at the end, you know, now you are retired from New York City Ballet, we see the success portion, but there's so, it's such a journey to get to where you got to. And it's, it's complicated. And being a dancer is complicated too. We are so hard on ourselves and we demand so much of ourselves and we give away so much of ourselves too, that you need to have someone in your corner to help you reclaim Mm -hmm. (laughs) health for you and strength for you. And you're pushing yourself to such extremes with, you know, your, your career is so limited and you're constantly churning for this, this level of development. And it's, it's more extreme than so many things. And, and I've, in this time of quarantine, I've seen a lot of um, companies and executive directors and people talking about the ballet world as you know, these dancers are, should be thought of as Olympic athletes because that's the, 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 the level of input and output that we, that we put into the, the field and, and the time is so short and it's such an extreme. And I, I, I love that people are talking about ballet in that way Mm -hmm. because it, really truly is yeah and it and it's very uh as you said it's very stressful um to put so much effort into something that can last for such a short amount of time and it's really nice to have that mm-hmm. be spoken about be respected more because uh that is something that yeah. makes the transition away from dance so difficult for people because it's it's so finite and it's so painful mm-hmm. to acknowledge that a lot of the time so You have been such an incredible muse to many choreographers, especially choreographers on the rise. And something I hear from a lot of young dancers is that it's very intimidating to be part of a new creation earlier in your career. You know, it's it's kind of scary to be part of something brand new. And I'm wondering if you can share a bit about how you show up in the studio, how, how you try to be there for the creative process, because it seems like whatever you chose to do really worked for not only you, but a lot of choreographers. So I'm wondering if you can share some wisdom with, with us on that. Well, I, when all that kind of started for me, when I, when I felt it start, I was turning 30. So I was, you know, pretty far into my career. Um, before that, most of the choreographers were choreographers that told me what to do. And they said, no, uh, I want you to arabesque on four and I want you to come out here and I want you to do this. And they were kind of dictatorial. And that was a certain generation of choreographer um, and placement of choreographer. But when I turned 30, Christopher Wielden was coming up. Uh, Rotmanski, who is about my age, was also coming up. So particularly those two choreographers, I was a very experienced principal dancer. And either they're Asia or older. And so I, I was bringing my, I was bringing a big toolkit to the table of experience and 
Um, I also think what I brought is an openness in my personality and sort of a playfulness and a sense of humor and sort of like just, well, let's just see, you know. Um, I didn't take it too, too seriously because I realized that the creative part should also be fun. And I think Chris Wielden, um, he and I clicked because we have a certain, there's a fun personality aspect but that we both share, a playfulness. Um, and I found that to be really fruitful. And so I tried to offer that along the way from when I turned 30 and started working with Chris on to when I, you know, was even after New York City Ballet and working with like Kyle Abraham or Brian Brooks um, or Ceruto, Alejandro mm-hmm. Ceruto. So I I found that to be that tool of playfulness and experience to be a really nice combination of bringing what I could bring to the table. And I also felt empowered to bring ideas to the table. So working with a choreographer that allowed me to be me was a, was a wonderful thing. And so I would say maybe to a younger dancer, you're being chosen by a choreographer because of something you're bringing that's natural to you whether it be a a kind of movement that you own or a personality that you own. So just bring trust in yourself, you know, trust who you are and what you bring to the table, because that's something for a choreographer to play with. Um, And if you shy away and, and, you know, don't offer your best, your, your truth, then that offers them less to work with. Yeah, and not be afraid to make mistakes because often the mistakes become the work. So mistakes are a beautiful thing. So, And you don't think about that as a kid. You're trying to please. Mm-hmm. And so kind of find, trying to find the balance between, between pleasing and offering and uh, playing. is It's a nice combination, a mixture of, of components to bring into the studio. Mm-hmm. That's really lovely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, authenticity is mm-hmm. very important in dancers. It's what distinguishes us from each other. You want, you don't want to see a bunch of cookie cutters, which I think is what we think somehow, yeah. you know, we get <laughs> kind of mind warped into thinking that is actually the goal. Um, and I don't know if it's from the uniformity of the court of ballet, which obviously is important, but there are plenty of moments to break away from that too. Yeah. Um, for sure. And, you know, trust, I think, for dancers to trust themselves is a difficult thing generally because we're so hard on ourselves. And also because I think that feeling of, or the old stigma of like ballet dancers are disposable, irreplaceable. There's always another one to come in. And I know a lot of people were trying mm-hmm. to dispel that myth. It's, you know, it's, we're, we bring a lot, each of us, and we're allowed to have our place in the room without feeling like you're just always going to be pushed out of the way by somebody else. And I'm wondering, that kind of leads me into something I want to talk to you about, uh, which came up in the wonderful film, Restless Creature, which I absolutely love. It was very inspiring. And I was so uh, moved by your vulnerability in that film and 
Thank you for that. Uh, came at a perfect time for me with my hip surgery recovery. <laughs> it was a great time for it to be released. I was like, yep. this is exactly what I needed, <laughs> including you. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, you, you talked about in that film very um, bravely the converse, you know, conversations with Peter Martin's um, hearing things to the effect of you're declining and, you know, basically being told that you don't have a place there anymore, even though you had been such a, such a significant part of that company and how that had a physical effect on you, you know, emotional trauma leads to physical effects, which is not something that we give enough consideration to, I think. And I wonder if you can talk a bit of that, about that experience of, you know, you make it so far and you still end up hearing from people in positions of power sometimes that you're not enough, even when you've done everything you can to try to be enough. So how, how did you weather that? What was yeah. that like for you? Well, I think a big part of that, I mean, there, Peter Martin's never said to me, you don't have a place. So that was never like, I didn't feel that exactly. I just, the word decline though was a big word. Mm-hmm. And it meant that I was going to be slowly moving away from the position uh, that I had and or the, 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 the repertory that I had. That's, that was what scared me the most was that being pulled away from where I was, m- moving to another level within the company which to me, I was very uncomfortable with. So some dancers aren't. They're, they're fine and comfortable with, you know, slowly moving out of things and think, but I wasn't ready for that in my headspace. So, so that's where I went because that's where, my, where I was at. But I think a part of that was the communication wasn't, very open or transparent or clear. So I was assuming and coming up with my own scenarios in my own head, which uh, was my thing. If the communication might've been a little bit better or warmer or more open, I think it would have been calmer about it. And so to me, that was, that was the, the key point. So, uh, Working for the New York City Ballet now, Jonathan Stafford and I, that is a huge thing for us is communication and being transparent and open and and warm and truthful, but at the same time, supportive. So that's a big thing. And, and that's something learned from that experience. Um, and I think, you know... Every company and every director and every teacher is, is, you know, comes from a generation and that generation is informed by the previous generation. And so we, we learn by, by these experiences. So, um, so that said, um, I do think that being kind of that feeling alone and conflicted and uncomfortable about the word decline (laughs) 
And moving from that place where I felt so confident was terrifying. And I think not being able to express it or sort of work through it, the tension of it went into my body, I believe. So I think it started to to play itself out somehow. I, do, I, I remember in high school, my, my senior paper, I was given the opportunity to write on anything I wanted to, but I had to write a, a senior thesis in high school on anything. And what I chose, for whatever reason, was psychosomatic issues. Mm-hmm. And it was about the mind and the body. So I was already interested in that as a young person. And, and I knew, I felt the connection of that. And then... Through this experience, I felt it even stronger. So the mind and the body sort of in conversation, dealing with growth and change, um, I felt it really strongly play out. And, you know, I, I took it to therapists, I took it to doctors and I said, do you, what do you think about, you know, this pain in my body and this emotion that I'm dealing with at this time? And, you know, there, nobody could really say, oh, it's definitely connected, but just, I felt it very deeply that that was, that that was a, a real, a reality for me at the time and getting out and finding my own confidence beyond ballet and, you know, figuring out who I was after a, being a ballet dancer and getting the confidence, my body started to heal. So I don't know. It just, the pain went away and I, I just felt the, I just felt them holding hands throughout that whole uh, few years of change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm I'm a big believer so. in that too. I I always feel physically worse mm-hmm. <laughs> when I feel emotionally mm-hmm. worse. It's you know, it, mm-hmm. it's hard. You feel a weight is put on you, and that affects your body for sure. And when you don't feel like you have that yeah. support, and that that's really great to hear. I was going to ask you about that if that led to greater empathy for you as a leader, because um, I I think if I could, for all the dancers I have heard, you know, tell their tales of suffering, a lot of it has to deal with um, lack of transparency, lack of communication, and lack of compassion. And I think, you know, it's it's a difficult career anyway. And it's, uh, you know, obviously, as a person in a leadership position, you can't make everybody happy all the time. You can't, you know, the answer isn't always yes. Sometimes the answer is no. But to be able to communicate that to dancers in a healthier way, I think is so important because we are emotionally invested in this. This is a, you know, this is everything. And just to not, to not have uh, sensitivity around that from the person delivering whatever news they have to deliver is uh, crushing for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think that's led to, unfortunately, yeah. a lot of dancers uh, still, you know, re- that have been retired even for a very long time, still kind of dealing with that trauma later because you feel like you've given all of yourself. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, the person that um, was leading you didn't care. or That's how it feels. So on the subject of Restless Creature, I was wondering what led you to make that decision to allow cameras into such a very intimate part of your life. I mean, that that whole 
period of time, you know, going through the injury and the surgery and everything that that was a lot to face. And um, how did you end up making that call to let people into that? Such a good question. Um, Well, I had a a patron who was helping um, support Restless Creature and the idea of documenting or making a documentary of the development of that work was something we had t- talked about. Um, also with the the guy that I had producing the, the stage performance. And so we started to talk to this woman, um, the executive producer, and I was just like, yeah, no, this isn't a good time for me <laughs> to do any kind of documenting. So uh, I was not into it. And I didn't, I had no interest in capturing that time uh, or even living that time. <laughs> so, but um, she, she talked, she talked me into trying uh, one, one afternoon just with the, the director that she had chosen and with the camera operator that he had chosen. And so I thought, okay, I'll try it and see for her I'll see what it's like and so it was it was fine the 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 cinematographer was wonderful the director was lovely and then we saw the footage and they had filmed about three hours of footage of a rehearsal and then a little conversation and it seemed to be that they were into doing um cinema verite and my husband works with a camera very often and when he saw the footage he thought oh this is this is the way to do it so I like he liked that they had chosen that that route and he said if you're gonna do it this is the way to do it um but I still wasn't convinced until I realized that no one until I mean I really put it to thought and I thought no one talks about this time in their life, you know, this transition time from a ballet career, especially. And I thought, no, and I had never really had con- deep conversations with anybody that had gone through it. So I didn't know what to expect myself. And I thought that I would be brave and do it for the people that were gonna follow my footsteps. And I thought it was kind of a gift to the dance community to kind of share that experience. Well, thank you for doing it. I I think that is incredibly admirable because you were very candid, I think, especially around the fear of uh, not distinctly knowing what exactly was next. I think that's a very, very scary thing for dancers to be like, I've known this with such certainty from all of my life. And now this next step, I don't really know. And I don't know how to feel about it. Or it's, I, I really, I think it's amazing that you shared that because seeing someone in your position, um, be so candid about the, uh, how scary that is, is I think really empowering. Yeah. I, I actually thought, I, I always kind of talk about it like this, but you know, I, I grew up going to a parochial school and um, I grew up Roman Catholic and I, I'm not that I'm a religious person or even practicer, practitioner of my faith right now. But I thought, you know, I looked at the career as having all these stages of sort of um, um, like sacraments, 
you know, or passages like baptism, Eucharist, mm. marriage. Um, and I thought of, I thought of this transition as sort of a sacrament of, of a, of a ballet dancer's life. And I thought, I thought it sh- could, it should be beautiful. And I just, I knew that that was in there, but I didn't know where. And so I, I, I kind of took a chance that I would find it. And I, and I feel like I did. Yeah, no, absolutely. And now, I mean, I was going to ask you, so now you have made a huge transition. You are associate artistic director of the New York City Ballet. How amazing. How cool. (laughs) And the first uh, woman in charge of that organization, which is very exciting, trailblazing. And I was wanting to know, how did that end up coming about? I mean, that's such a big, big step and such, you know, such a tall order. It's such a big position to fill. So how did that come up for you? Um, I, you know, during, during the four years or so of, uh, post New York city ballet, I had been, uh, creating my own projects, um, five new full evening works, um, many with commissioned music, um, all built from scratch with collaborators. So I, I was, um, I started to feel like I could do, I could do other things, you know, I mean, dance was a part of it, but I could fundraise. Um, I could, um, help direct and produce the development of new work. Um, I could choose teams, um, bring collaborators together I had been teaching as well and I started to find myself as a teacher and before I stopped my career at New York City Ballet, I was not a teacher. I didn't teach ever really. Um, I was a one-trick pony, you know, so after leaving New York City Ballet, I was more of a a five-trick pony and I I started learning all these other things that I had talent in and I thought, I felt confidence from them. But I also started to feel that I wanted to give back a little more than I wanted to focus on myself. So um, the opportunity started to sort of show itself and I felt a wave, a huge wave of support and a lot of confidence behind me. And so I thought, you know what? The same way I approached um, being nervous about something I hadn't experienced, like a, a a new debut, I always thought, well, you're going to learn something. No matter if you fail or succeed, the gift is in the learning. So I thought, why not put myself into it and at least learn, you know, what it, what it, it's about to go for something like this. And so with the support and the focus, I went for it and I, I made it. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. It's, it's it's so inspiring, and especially to see, you know, you step in to an organization that um, was going through a hard time, you know, so much, so many scandals to face. That was, you know, a lot to, it's a lot to every ballet company, you know, when making a transition, bringing in a new director, it's already um, tremendously stressful. That's, that's a big thing to face, but 
adding on top of it all of the elements that were added on top of that company and trying to it almost seems kind of similar in a, in a strange way to when you were joining New York City Ballet as a dancer it seems exactly. like you kind of entered into these big <laughs> life moments and times of uh, extreme unrest for the company yeah. you know as a dancer now as a leader and do you feel like that experience as a dancer helped you kind of weather the storm as a leader too knowing that the organization would have longevity beyond this moment. Yeah. It's literally the first um, conversation I had with the company of dancers. Uh, the day it was announced that I was going to be taking this position, uh, I addressed the, the company and I spoke about how, how it was when I entered the company and how it was very confusing and there was a lot of unrest about it and, um, and that it took time and that I'd experienced that as a dancer and I knew what they were going through. So that was, I literally picked up right on that spot, just like you said. And that was my first conversation with the company was about that exact time. Yeah, see, I mean, <laughs> you're, it seems that you're ideally suited for this in many ways. But yeah, in that way, that's that's pretty, in a strange way, kind of magical that um, you had that experience and are able to guide a new generation of dancers through a big transition and through, um, I know there, there's been a lot of stress and a lot of grief for some people. Mm -hmm. And it seems, you know, having experienced that for yourself is probably very powerful for them to have you guide them through that. So, uh, it's, uh, things are looking up. Yeah. <laughs> I also feel like that my experience, um, since leaving New York city ballet and even, you know, of course in New York city ballet, but my my real love of collaborating and wanting to be a professional collaborator ha also helped guide me into this position because I'm, I'm working very closely with John Stafford and Justin Peck. Uh, and we're sort of a trio. So we really run everything by each other and we make collaborative decisions um, on just about almost everything. So we all take a look at at what we're going to put forward and, and come to an agreement or find a balance or, you know, choose what the best decision, what the best idea is. Um, so we're, that's something that I feel really, really happy about is that I'm, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a group, um, that works together beautifully so far. And, uh, the egos are, are, are very, very, minimal and we really look at at the at the big picture yeah that's that's amazing I absolutely love that I'm such a huge fan of hoping I, I think it would be great for a lot more dance companies to have a team leading I think there's so much benefit to it um, both creatively you, you can bounce things off of each other you can support each other in the positive way but also in a checks and balances way you have people to hold you accountable you can hold them them accountable it seems like mm -hmm. an ideal situation to share that load that responsibility with other people yeah and we each have such different strengths that that and we know that we know where our strengths are and we know where our weaknesses are and we same thing for each person you know I can oh well that he's gonna know you know that more than I will know and and we luckily we we all really look at you know what's the best answer for the for the institution. So 
A nice dose of humility in there, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, we aim for it. <laughs> Can always use more of yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> um, and I'm wondering, you know, you've, I know you love to collaborate. I know you, you've been such a nurturer to many people, such a wonderful mentor to so many, um, to myself. Thank you for, God, you've guided me through a lot, and, and I haven't even known you for all that long, so thank you. Um, and I am wondering... Who in your who in your own life inspired you to be that way to want to pass that on? Coming from where I came from, Louisville, Kentucky, a, a you know a, an amazing little town in the heart of the country, and having such wonderful family friends around, and my mom was you know she's a very gregarious person, and she's she was always researching for answers and and very nurturing to her players of her team um and then my you know I had ballet teachers that were the same way that were just I could I felt them giving it and and I and I you know so I was so grateful because I was the receiver you know but and then not being so sure about how I would be as a a giver you know, until I was started teaching and then feeling the, 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 the grace of giving, it was as satisfying as, as being the receiver. So when I realized that, um, I, I enjoyed having a second half of a life of being on the other side of that. Some of that came from when I was staging P and B, even when I was setting uh, pictures at an exhibition and seeing, you know, well, I'm not performing it, but I'm giving ideas and I'm helping people f- realize their their full potential. And then seeing the product that I helped formulate um, was so extremely satisfying and surprisingly so. So I think once you get a taste of of the of that, you realize how delicious it is. You know, well, and you you can see that I, I love that part of uh, restless creature in seeing your effect on your partners, <laughs> especially you know Craig, and it's you can really see um, how much your nurturing of them in the studio, you know, partner to partner, meant to them and helped them grow into incredibly wonderful partners themselves. And mm-hmm. it's like that ballet is such a verbal, emotional passing on from generation to generation. So it's like you discover, wow, this is amazing to be a part yes. of that. That's to be a link. It's true. And I'm I'm wondering with, you know, you've, we talked a bit about, you know, you always trying to find the silver lining moments. Do you think that's your your go-to practice, you know, for all the things that you face and continue to face? You know, right now you're trying to help lead an organization through a very difficult time with COVID and the quarantine and the effect that's having on the arts. Um, do you feel like that is your main practice of trying to keep, um, to kind of rise above self-doubt and adverse adversity is just searching I, for that. I, I, I feel like I found in, you know, the experience of making the documentary and the transition and then creating Restless Creature, the performance, it was that dealing with this kind of limitation or stress or pain that, you know, an artistic project or an artistic outlook or a creative response to it 
um, has saved me every time. So looking for that, I guess that's a silver lining, but just find the create, finding a way to, to, um, create your way out of it, create, create your way forward. Um, I, I find that to be very healing and guiding and met, you find your more of yourself and, uh, you find more truth. I, I, that's how, that's what I think. Um, just kind of in the realm of self-discovery, uh, knowing what you know about yourself now, what traits are you most proud of in yourself? Because I think that's an important <laughs> thing for us to, as we get older, look back on. What are we proud of in ourselves? Uh, my sense of humor. I I feel so grateful to have a sense of humor because it's really a coping mechanism. It's a, it's a, it's a relief and it's a, you know, it's sort of, when you come up with a with a humorous outlook, there seems to be a puzzle involved somehow. Um, I like that part. Um, uh, I I like my positive outlook by nature generally, uh, and I like my curiosity and my and my humility sort of. So I feel like that's a, a real gift to be able to to access and 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 work with and it's 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 a tool that I can use in a lot of ways well well you are just such a bright light and I feel grateful to know you and to have been affected by you and I just Thank you for being on the show. And I would definitely urge everyone to check out Restless Creature. I think it's an absolutely wonderful film. And also to check out everything that New York City Ballet is putting online right now. You've been giving some wonderful introductions to these amazing pieces that we're all so lucky to see online right now. I've, I've been seeing pieces I've never seen before that I've been dying to see for years. So that's been exciting. And I know next steps for, you know, what will come after this are still uncertain uh, for every dance company. But... In the meantime, you know, definitely want to urge everyone to consider contributing to the New York City Ballet Relief Fund as you're taking in these beautiful productions. Support your local dance company. That's that's what you can do. I think I think uh, really realizing uh, that um, federally the arts are not supported like in Europe, and and it's up to us to really uh, value culture in our communities. And so I, I say support your local art, arts institutions. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we, the arts in the United States, it's always a grassroots movement. We have to be the advocates. Mm-hmm. We have to be the ones to step up. And, and also, you know, there's a way to support the arts without making, um, if you don't have the means to make a financial contribution, there's amazing, you know, things you can do to write to your representatives, urge them to support relief funds for the arts. Um, so many amazing things through Americans for the Arts right now, initiatives and Dance USA. So we can we can all do a lot to keep ballet going. I know we'll make it through this and seeing people like you leading organizations gives me so much hope for an amazing future when we come out of this. We're gonna do it together. We're gonna stick together. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Wendy, for being here. I'm just tremendously grateful and I'm just looking forward to the future. Thanks, Maggie. My pleasure. So fun to talk with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bar. 
This episode was produced and edited by Serena Fishman Jimenez. Our theme music is by William Lin Yi. You can catch up on past episodes at margaretmullen.com slash podcast, or by searching for Beyond the Bar on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy the show, you can follow us on Instagram at Beyond the Bar Podcast and consider giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts to help the show grow. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, I'm your host, Margaret Mullen.